Uh, Romans chapter 14 and verses 10 to verses 13. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's going to speak about the judgment seat of Christ. And what I want to do today is lay a foundation for you uh, this morning. It says, but why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt to your brother? For we shall all, everybody say all please, all, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, resolve this, to, not to put a stumbling block or cause a fall in your brother's way. Now, the subject matter here is the judgment seat of Christ and the context that Paul is phrasing this whole message is uh, judging one another. He says, stop judging one another because we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you've got to resolve in your heart not to be a stumbling block. One more passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses uh, 9 to verses 11. It says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all, again, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Again, the context here is uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and he frames it all with regards to our behavior. It's really important that we learn to live right before God. In ancient Rome, when the general returned from a victorious campaign, the Senate would vote for what's called a, 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 um, a triumph. And what they would do is they would take this general and parade him in a chariot before the adoring crowds of Rome. And everywhere he went, the crowds would scream and they would cheer his name. But they would always have a slave that would trail the chariot. And his job was to say these words, Momento mori, momento mori. And that is Latin for, uh, remember, you will die. Now, the reason was to remind the general that although he was victorious now, he is, that he's loved by the adoring crowds, one day he will face reality and one day he will die and he will be all alone. And it's a reminder of our mortality to keep things in perspective and to instill humility. And memento mori is a reminder to all of us that no matter how successful we are, we must be reminded constantly of our weaknesses, our frailties and our mortality. Moses exhorts us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And because of this, it is imperative for us to know what is waiting for us on the other side. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, Try Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus is not on trial. You are. Amen. Now, the doctrine of eternal judgment is a foundational doctrine in Scripture. It is one of the six foundational doctrines in the epistle to the Hebrews. And what that means is every born-again believer needs to know exactly what's going to happen on the day and how we are going to be appraised by God. And I would be an unfaithful pastor if I did not warn you of the judgment that is to come. Now, the concept of eternal judgment centers around two thrones in the Bible. And thrones in the Bible are not where kings sit and judge, and, and sorry, and rule and reign. They also sit as judges and they dispense justice. Amen. Now, the Bible teaches us that there'll be two judgments. The first is called the judgment seat of Christ. And the Greek word for this is bima, or the bima of Christ. And this is, will be our focus today. This is where all of God's children will be judged and will be appraised. The second throne is called the great white throne. And at this throne, everyone else whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life would be judged. So everyone who's ever lived 
will be judged for his works, good or evil. There are no exceptions. There are no VIP passes. There are no backdoors. Everyone will be stand before God. And so banish the thought that you would escape the throne, the courtroom of heaven. Now, a cursory glance of the Bible will reveal that there are several parables that deal with the day of our reckoning. For instance, we've got the parable of the talents, which is an appraisal of how his servants have stewarded the gifts the abilities and the talents that God has given to us. We are rewarded by how effective we have been utilized the gifts and what God has put in our lives, in our hands, and punish if we have been slothful or wicked. And the punishment of being slothful is banishment from God's presence. The Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so you cannot find a good thing in the Bible about laziness, my friends. I have been in ministry 33 years, and never in 33 years have I ever seen God ever use a lazy man. It goes against the, the grain of His nature. And then we've got the parable of the pounds, Paul tells us that all, every single one of you, have been given a measure of faith. And that measure of faith is all that you need to produce that which is necessary in your life. Amen. Now, if, we're not, if we are faithful in what has been given to us, then more will be given. If we are not faithful, then what we have will be taken away. And you cannot say, I don't have anything, Lord. You have been given a measure of faith. Amen. And then you got a parable in Matthew 25. When the Lord returns to judge the nations, He is not going to return to Canterbury or Tulsa or Springfield, Missouri. He is going to return to His throne in Jerusalem. Amen. And the Bible says that the nations are gathered before Him and He will separate them as a man separates his sheep from his goats. And on what basis does the Lord judge the nations? The answer to that is how we treated the least of his brethren. And make no mistake about it, his brethren here is a direct reference to the Jewish people. There's no ambiguity about this. As long as I'm the senior pastor of this church, Israel will always be a very important focus for this church. Amen. Amen. Cornerstone is not a rich man's club. We are called to preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. That is our spiritual mandate. The Lord spoke to us once. He said, if you take care of the people nobody wants, I'll give you the people everybody wants. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's why in our CGN, we've got large city churches and we've also got small village churches as well. We have to remember the poor always. Amen. Now, the Bible also speaks of judgments on cities as well. In Matthew chapter 11, it's a lengthy passage, I won't read it, but in Matthew chapter 11, it's the day of judgment, and the Lord is judging cities, okay? And he, he begins by rebuking those cities that he performed many miracles in Capernaum, in Chorazin, in, uh, in, in Bethsaida. Do you know that Jesus actually pronounced a woe? On these three cities, he said, Woe unto you, Capernaum. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Chorazin. You go to Israel today, you don't find the cities any longer. This is a pile of rubble. That's all they are. The only city that Jesus never pronounced a curse was the Roman city of Tiberias. And if you go to Israel today, Tiberias is a thriving city. But this is what he said. He said, Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Capernaum. You saw the great miracles that I performed. He said, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen their cities, they would still be around today. Come on. So he's giving us the key to reaching the cities. How do we reach cities in the last days? How do we reach very difficult, maybe some of these wicked cities like San Francisco, where there's so many sins, and how do we reach these cities? I tell you, the answer is through signs and wonders. True signs and wonders. Amen. That's the key. The Lord is giving us the key of how to reach 
uh, large cities. And I tell you this, my friends, the key is revival. Because only in the atmosphere of revival will we begin to see the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Hallelujah. That's why a powerless church is an enigma. Signs and wonders are the things that open the hearts of people to the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you know that in Acts chapter 9, Peter was in a town called Lydda. And there was a man called Aeneas. For eight years, he suffered as a paralytic. He, he, the Bible, the old King James says, he suffered from palsy. He was sick of palsy. I tell you, if you had palsy, you'll be sick of it too. Hallelujah. He was sick of palsy. And Peter raises him from the, from the, from the bed. He had never walked for eight years. And when the man started got healed, the Bible says, oh, all of Lydia and Sharon turned to the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit does not exaggerate. If he says all, he means all. I tell you this, the day will come where whole towns and villages will turn to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, but greater also will you do. I tell you this, signs and wonders open the hearts of the people to the gospel. Then later on, Peter went to a town called Joppa. It was the largest city. And there was a woman there called Dorcas who died, remember? He raised the woman from the dead. And the Bible says many in the city, the majority of the city, turned to the Lord because of one very notable miracle. I tell you this, my friends, that's the answer. Woo! The answer, amen. And what is God looking for when He does the signs and the wonders? He's looking for repentance because repentance, which is the acknowledgement of our sin, the plea for His forgiveness, and the renunciation of the works of darkness is the key in the last days for the preservation of cities. Hallelujah. One pastor recently said, he said, if 377A is repealed, we can forget about revival. I tell you, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I know 377A is important, a piece of legislation, but I tell you this, my friends, God has a bigger thing on His agenda, and that's revival. Amen. You're very quiet today. Whew. I'm preaching so much better than you're responding, you know. I'm out of breath, but I'm still preaching fast. Hallelujah. But we're going to see, and not just entire cities judge, we're going to see generations judge as well. In Matthew chapter 12, the Lord says, The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented. Watch this. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, far, far greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. And she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now, reference was made to two preachers in this passage, Jonah and Solomon. And the reason they were, they were earmarked, they were, they were highlighted, is because they carried the greatest preaching anointing in the Old Testament. Jonah and Solomon. And Jesus said, one greater than them has is spoken to you. But why is the Queen of Sheba mentioned in this verses? I'll tell you why. Do you know how many months the Queen of Sheba had to travel on stinky donkeys under the hot desert sun from where she was in Sheba all the way to Jerusalem? Do you know how many months it took in the desert to hear a man preach? And there are some people who won't so much as get up from their beds physically to come to church on Sunday. I tell you this, there are some people can give you the best reasons why they can't come to church physically. And the COVID just proved something that was already in their hearts. Laziness. Yeah, preach it, Pastor. Hear me, my friends. You cannot sit in the couch on Sunday morning in your pajamas and then flip the television and then say to God, I've done my duty. No, sir. That's not going to happen. 
You know, I, I, I talked to the, the pastors of the two largest churches in Singapore. Both of them told me, Pastor Young, we're thinking of scrapping the live stream. Because half the church has not come back. And all they want is sit at home and watch television. And then if they're not happy with what the preacher is saying, they flip the channels. Well, split flying on. Well, I'm pre- I, I, you know I'm preaching well when my spirit is all going all over the place. The queen, of, I'll tell you this, my friends, the queen of the south will be there on judgment day and she will condemn a generation for watching online t- services. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Because she traveled all the way to hear a man preach and Jesus said, one greater than Solomon is here and they won't so much as get up from their beds and cross the road to listen to me speak. Yes. Come on. The, t- the two most important days in your life, the day you got born again and the day you, dis- you stand before Jesus to give an account of your life. The moment you got born again, God's plans and purposes for your life are activated and all you need to do is to walk before Him in good standing has been provided by the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross and all you need for ministry has already been provided by the measure of faith that has been deposited in your heart. At the end of your life, you have to give an account of how you have stewarded what God has deposited in your life. So what must we do? You must prepare yourself for His coming. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. At this stage in my life, I'm 63, and one of my life's goals can be summarized in the statement, to be as best prepared as I can for the judgment seat of Christ. Believe me, it will be a most horrifying experience that awaits you at the judgment seat if you don't prepare. You will stand before a righteous God who knows everything about you, every idle word, every thought, every motive, intention, desire, every hidden thing, every lust, every bitterness, everything that will be made bare and exposed before Him. It will be 100% transparent. There's nothing that you can hide. And the pain and the horror you will face if you do not repent right now. I'm telling you this, my friends. Words would be insufficient to describe the horror of standing before the Lord and knowing that you fail Him knowing that He called you to do something in your life, knowing that He called you to lay your life down, but you refuse. And you say, no, I want to go my own way. I want all the benefits of salvation. I want healing. I want the blessings. I want deliverance. I want all the good things that God... But I'm not going to carry my cross. I'm not going to follow Him. You are going to stand before a God who is going to know everything about you, and it will be horrifying. If you don't repent and get right, if you don't renounce the works of darkness, if you choose to continue to walk in your sin, then that day will be terrifying to you. This is one of my favorite quotes of all time. A.W. Tozer said this, Every ransom man owes his salvation to the fact that during the days of sinning, his sinning, God kept the door of mercy open by refusing to accept any of His evil acts as final. Come on, hallelujah. What a powerful, powerful statement. Salvation is not some Harry Belafonte's and man shall live forevermore because of Christmas Day. It doesn't matter how many Christian hymns you know. That's not going to save you. If you do not repent, Jesus said, you will likewise perish. The question I want to ask you is, do you have a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus that's alive. Everything that we do now must henceforth prepare ourselves for the judgment seat. Learn to live for six words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. One of the ways that I'm preparing to, seek, to, to stand before the Lord is to ask the Lord for His judgments. It begins by judging yourself. Be introspective. Be watchful. 
Nobody needs to tell you that you have sinned. If you have sinned, humble yourself. Go before the Lord straight away. Confess your sin. Say, Lord, please give me the grace to walk uprightly before you. Rick Joyner once said this, A wise man will judge himself, but the wiser still will ask the judgments of the Lord. We ask His judgments because we have blind spots. When you ask Him for His judgments, I assure you, my friends, He will answer you by giving you opportunities each day to repent and to be cleansed from your sin or some issue of self in your life. I've been asking the Lord to deal with me ruthlessly. My daughter is, my third daughter is Ruth. When she left the home, I was ruthless. Hallelujah. But I remember I was in my car just a few weeks, a few months ago, and I said, God, deal with me ruthlessly. I've been praying this prayer, and a, a thought, an unrighteous thought flooded into my head. It was there. I wasn't thinking about it, and I was tempted to dwell on this thought and think about this, when suddenly, I kid you not, it sounds bizarre, but I tell you this, the whole truth, I felt someone pinch me in my belly so hard, I screamed in the car. Literally, I felt this terrible pain, and so, like someone pinched me. And you know, it must have been a hard pinch, because I've got a strong belly. <laughs> and I yelled out, ah, in the car, and I knew immediately, you might say, Pastor, that's coincidence. No, it's not coincidence. If you walk with the Lord long enough, you know how God speaks to us. Amen. Every time you're tempted to do something, I'm telling you, bizarre things start happening. It's a way of God saying to you, stop. And I love Him because He disciplines and chastises me. It's a proof that I'm His son. If, you die, if He doesn't chastise you, if He doesn't discipline you, then you're a legitimate son. You're legitimate. Come on, hallelujah. Am I preaching to somebody here today? Don't be found naked before Him. Strive to be blameless. Amen. Strive to be purified by the power of God. Carry a consciousness of His presence within you and allow Him to change your nature and prepare you for His return. Now, the concept of the judgment seat is found in two passages that we read Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's called the Bema. In the Roman days, it was a race platform like this where a Roman magistrate would judge and uh, pass sentence. Pontius Pilate sat on the Bema while he judged Christ. Paul borrowed the term Bema from the Romans and used it uh, uh, in, in a competition where contestants would compete for the prize under the watchful eyes of the judges whose job was to make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. When the event was completed, the judge would lead the victor to on the bima who had won according to the rules and there a laurel wreath will be placed upon his head as a symbol of victory. This is 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. All this is in the scripture. And in all these passages, Paul was depicting a believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest, the victor in the Greco-Roman games would appear before the bima to receive his perishable crown, but Paul says the Christian will appear before Christ to receive his imperishable crown. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now the judge at the bima was the one who bestowed the reward to the victors, but listen to this. He did not whip the losers. Neither did he sentence them to heart labor. In other words, the bima portrays a time of rewards or a loss of rewards following examination. My friends, I tell you this, five seconds after you're dead, you're going to be very aware of the fact that you're alive. And that if you don't believe in the afterlife, I promise you, 
Five seconds after you're dead, you're going to believe it very quick. Because there are only two options after you die. It's heaven or hell. The options are very limited and hell is the wrong thing to be wrong about. Eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. This life is a probationary life. It's a dress room rehearsal for the real life. It's a parenthesis, uh, introduction to eternity. That's all it is. And this life will determine where you will be for all eternity. Think about that for a few moments. I want to close with three views on the Bema very quickly. The first view, because there's some debate about the Bema, all right? Some theologians think that the Bema, number one, is a place where God is going to judge. It's a place of intense sorrow, a place of great terror, and a place where Christ will display all the sins of the believer before everybody, those sins that have not been forgiven yet. Have you heard that before? You know, you've heard preachers say, if you don't confess your sins, all your sins will be paraded before uh, all of heaven. And I don't think that's going to happen. But, but, there are a lot of uh, people who actually teach this, that it will be a terrible time at the judgment seat of Christ. The second view of the judgment seat is seen as an awards ceremony. Awards will be handed out to Christians. Uh, and the result of it, each Christian will be grateful for the award he receives, and those who hold this view reject any thought of forensic punishment. But the third view is a combination of these two things, and the seriousness of the examination, and also the jubilation of, condemn, of commendation. And the last view is the view that I believe the Bible holds. Amen. Emphasis must be placed on the fact that each Christian must first give an account of his life before an omniscient and holy God and all that was done in the flesh will be regarded as worthless and consumed. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. My spiritual father, I will t I'll end with this story, was an impeccable gentleman. Uh, he was a British man who lived much of his life in the, in the United States, in upstate New York. And he died about 10 years ago. And Brother Bailey told me the story at least five times so that it would go deep down in my spirit. When he was a young man, he was going through a very difficult period of his life. And he prayed a prayer that not, not, not any one of us should ever pray. This is the prayer he prayed. He said, Lord, take me home, please. I don't want to live any longer. He said at 3 o'clock in the morning when he woke up from his bed, he saw an angel standing at the foot of his bed. And the angel touched his body and his spirit came out from his body. And he said, I was standing with the angel. I looked down. I saw myself and I saw my wife lying before, beside me on the bed, and I realized I was dead. The realization came that he was dead. He said the angel that came to take him had complete control over his movements. And so he controlled the movements of Brother Bailey, and he said the angel looked up like this. He said, I had to look up, and we went right through the ceiling. We were traveling at a great speed, and he said, I saw a city from a distance. It was a glorious city, full of light, full of glory, approaching closer, closer, closer. But he said, the closer I get to, got to the city, the sadder I became. He said, I didn't understand why. He said, I was terribly sad. He said, I reached the, a river. There was a river that separated this, this side from the city. And he said, that's the final cleansing. When you go through the, the water, that river, that's like water baptism. He says, everything of your earth life is washed away in that river. And you come out a different person on the other side of the river. He said, he was at the foot of the river just before crossing the river. A screen came down from heaven. And the Lord showed him everything that he had done in this life. From the time he was born and as a young boy growing up, and he says right in the middle of these of this little cameos were blanks, blanks and blanks. And he asked the angel, he said, what are those blanks? 
And the angel said, that's when you sin. And you ask God for forgiveness. And he blanked it out from the records. It's no more in the record. Hallelujah. And then he said, I saw on the screen a second picture. And he said, the Lord showed me his plans for my life. And that I was dying before the time. And he said, I felt terrible sorrow and pain. He said, Lord, please give me a second chance. Please give me a second chance. He said, I didn't hear my, the voice, any voice, but the angel heard it. He nodded his head and he looked down and we came back into the body. Several days later, he told me this. He said, Tuck, I asked the Lord. He said, why did you show me? Give me this experience. And the Lord said, Brian, I want you to tell the people. I want you to tell the people what is going to happen to them when they die. There are two things I'm going to judge them. The way they live their lives. And number two, whether or not they have fulfilled my will for their lives. I want you all to stand up with me, please, ladies and gentlemen. The book of Hebrews tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will be become clear. The word clear is phaneros, which means to become plain, to become clear, manifest. For the day, which is the bima, will declare it. The word declare it in Greek is the word delu, which means to make evident. And it will be revealed by fire. The word reveal is apocalypto, which means to be unveiled. I tell you this, my friends, everything will be 100% transparent when you stand before the Almighty God, the omniscient and holy God. Everything will be made transparent. If anyone's work which he has built on endures the fire, he will receive the reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. In other words, everything that you build in this life will go through the fire of God's testing. And what you get at the end of the fire is your reward for eternity. Think about that. And all of us are building for eternity. Every day. That's why Moses said, Lord, teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The Bible talks about a man's life as being full of days, never full of years, but full of days. Because let every day count for yourself. Amen. Let every day count. Woo! Hallelujah. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, how are you living your life, my friends? Are you living the, your life to the best of knowledge, blameless before the Lord? Are you living your life to the best of knowledge, a righteous life? If you say, Pastor, I struggle in this area, there are sin in my life, will you now not just confess your sins before God and say, God, will you forgive me? There are things that I've done, Lord, that I might have forgotten. Please bring it back to my remembrance. Sins of commission, sins of omission, that I may confess them before you, Lord. I want a clean slate, Lord. I want a clean slate. You know, my friends, you don't want to stand before the Lord on that judgment day and all you see on the screen is blank, 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 blank. That's not the kind of life you want to live. You want to have a, a great reward waiting for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Shanda. My second question is, how, are you stewarding the gifts of God that He has given to you? What have you done to the measure of faith that God has put inside of you? Hallelujah. Shandai. I tell you this, my friends. That little measure of faith can produce churches 
ministries, networks, hallelujah. It can produce buildings, it can produce hospitals, it can produce childcare centers, it can produce orphanages. God has given to every single one of you a measure of faith. What are you doing about it? Hallelujah. I, I'm not going to ask anyone to come up to the front today at the altar call, but if I want your eyes to be closed and your head bowed. If there are people in this room today that know that you are not right with God, there are areas of your life that needs to be in alignment with the Word of God without saying one word right now. You say, Pastor, I am so sorry that I've sinned against the Lord. I'm so sorry that I've fallen short of the glory of God. I am so sorry that I made the wrong choices in my life. That instead of choosing to live a righteous life, I have chosen a, a life that is filled with sin and shame and guilt. I'm asking today for the Lord to forgive me. Without saying one word, wherever you are, please everybody close your eyes. I'm the only one watching. If that is you today, wherever you are, lift up your hands and put your hands down again. And when I see those hands, yes, 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 many hands. Shandaraba, Sandaraba. I want you to pray this prayer after me, please. Wherever you are, we're all going to pray this prayer, all right? Will you say right now, dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today. And I acknowledge that I've sinned against you. It is in my nature to sin, Lord. And I know that there's no name under heaven by which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus. I come to you today. I humble myself before you. And I ask you to wash me with my, your blood. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. Now, forsake your sin. Amen. Don't just confess it. Forsake it. Forsake it. Stop. Stop. For your own sake, stop sitting. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, group people here today, God has given you a measure of faith. What have you done with it? Have you stewarded the gift of God? Have you stewarded what God has put in your hearts? Come on, my friends. I'm asking you. Because you're going to stand before a God who's going to demand. Demand that you give him an answer on how you have utilized the talents and the gifts and you cannot be like the evil and wicked servant who says Lord I buried the gifts I was afraid that if I used it I would have lost it so I buried it Lord and I'm giving you back what you have given to me and the Lord says to that servant you wicked and slothful servant depart from me I never knew you you don't know me I don't know you depart from me my friends, whatever God has given to you, please, I beg you as your pastor, please be faithful. Use the gifts. Use the talents that God has given to you. You may be seated in the presence of God. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.